Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey, this is Dr. Drew, and you are listening to This Life with Bob Forrest and Dr. Drew. Here we are. This is This Life with Bob Forrest and Dr. Drew. Indeed it is, and uh, we have... <laughs> was that professional? That was that was okay. adequate. And we have Mackenzie Phillips back with us again. Hi, guys. Yeah, part two, I told you. I know you said there'd be a part two. And just a couple of reminders, everybody. Be sure you go to iTunes, give us that five-star rating, tell the friends on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and go to drdrew.com. We are taking emails at drdrew.com slash contact. As you hear on the previous shows, we have to sort of, there's laws governing what I can and can't answer, but we can get to the topic that you want. We'll sort of answer the questions at hand. may not be specific to your case, but it will be helpful to your general circumstance. Again, uh, hit us up at the Amazon banner, drdrew.com, make your purchase for everyday life, but uh, we need that support to keep this thing going. But I wanted them to tell their friends, let's talk about this. This needs to be the place where the community talks about addiction in America. Let's do it. To, uh, we, need, I, we need word of mouth to make that happen. We need people but to you know, talk to I, people. I was sort of hoping this podcast would be not... I mean, we're going to get deeply well, into families, it families... But, but I, want to get, I want it to be about this life. And it just so happens that addiction is the problem of our time, and no one's it really, really addressing is. it. But, but I no, want, but I think people are now recognizing that I, it I is. I understand that. But I want us to really... Like last time we talked about the 60s and the 70s, last time we had Mac in here, we talked about the impact. Of, I, I want us to talk about how we got here and all the stuff we were talking about last time. You know, how we get out of this and child rearing. I want to, you know, of course addiction has to have a, a, a place in this conversation because it is so common in all of our lives for many ways. But let's t- tell all your friends, not just your addict friends. No, everyone. Ah, tell your mother. Tell your mom. Okay. Well, so <laughs> our moms probably shouldn't listen. <laughs> I definitely shouldn't. Uh, and later in the show, we're going to have Audrey Karish. Audrey Karish, uh, she has a song called Butterfly. You can get her music. Somebody's peeing. Someone peeing? Uh, it seems like it. Somebody just urinated right <laughs> live on the podcast. But be that as it's all good. I dig that. This life um, with Doctor hey, Drew. We'll, and Bob we'll tackle anything. Um, <laughs> Did that Audrey's, sound like a good stream to yeah, you as a doctor? Adequate. adequate. I, think it, I think it was your son. <laughs> it could be. Is he? <laughs> he just right, came. In. Come on up. Uh, Audrey's music. Let's get it. It's uh, A L K E music. Alky music. Alky. You would like that. Oh, yeah. Alky I like music. Alky music. Alky Destiny. music. All right, we'll, we'll hear her story. But right now, I want. I have a very special, uh, two special guests today. I did a Steve Harvey episode uh, some time back. Uh, Preaching was, forgiveness, and, I believe. No, it was a different thing. And it just oh. had aired. And um, I'm sort of overwhelmed talking about it because it was a very emotional experience. Um, 
it was a young kid, a, a really lovely 21-year-old kid who was totally strung out on heroin. Look and, at how much you care right now. You just said in the last episode, I can't do this anymore. And now you're talking well, I, about the one thing you did do, and it's and you're, you're in. Well, that's yeah. why I, can, I can't do it so much, because I do get in pretty deep with these things. Look at you, and Drew. You're really it was intense. emotional. Liz, yes, it was intense. I'm telling you. And it, and it was a high wire act for all of us. Um, but I will, I will introduce the young man's sister in a minute. But right now, I want to introduce the man that helped me, and without which, it would not just a minute. Is the young man still with us? Yes, he's okay, with us, and, he, and he's in thank treatment God. and thriving. Okay, but, good. But, but for the grace of God. So you'll hear the whole story mm-hmm. when we go on here. Uh, and, and that was Tina, Tina Nazar, who is the sister, bringing in that, yes, he's doing well. But I, we'll hear his update in a second. But I want to introduce the man that, uh, without which, this would have been a catastrophe. And, okay. and he was so awesome and so fantastic and someone I stay in touch with to this day. It is Tim Ryan. He's at, let me get the, the uh, Twitter handle right, Amin in Recovery. A man in recovery. A man in recovery. A man in recovery. That's your old Latin trick. A man in recovery. <laughs> Uh, and Tim shepherded this young man. Uh, we got broke down his denial, got him and embraced him. Not, not that day. long. Not yet. No, one day. Well, a day. And then he was flown off to Florida for a detox program and then a residential program. Tim, tell us about the programs. Uh, we have him down. We flew him down to Serenity House Detox in Fort Lauderdale where he was uh, you know, medically weaned off of everything. He spent six days walked out of there for the first time in a number of years, uh, totally substance-free, and now he's over at Banyan Treatment Center in Pompano Beach where he's going to spend the next minimum uh, 90 days there. And Banyan runs a, you know, for the first 45 days, he'll be in a very structured PHP partial hospitalization program, a lot of one-on-one therapy, a lot of group meetings, you know, the holistic approach, acupuncture, massage therapy, chiropractor, yoga, going to the gym. And then in the afternoon, they're in the housing. Uh, He's breaking bread, cooking with some other guys. We got him out to 12-step meetings seven days of the week. So so it's it's really, we've been talking about this amongst the three of us here, is that it's, so it's mindfulness, it's body and soul, it's nutrition, it's recovery everything <laughs> it's life and then social structure too we talked yeah. about young kids so getting important. in with other other young particularly males other young males that are swept along in a social program tim tell people if you don't mind quickly your story uh in a nutshell i uh struggled with alcoholism and drug addiction for 28 years i'm 47 today my first time in drug treatment i was 21 um, and then I was in and out of 12-step meetings. I'd get six months, I'd get a year, I'd get four. I had been a year clean and sober, and in 2000, you know, when I say year clean and sober, I should say abstinent, because I never got a sponsor, I never worked the steps, my ego and pride were too big. And uh, I took a kid to Chicago to move out of his apartment, and his roommate was doing heroin. I uh, had the brilliant idea to try one bag of heroin that took me down a 12-year road to utter hell and destruction, uh, buried a number of businesses. At the peak of my addiction, I had a $500 a day heroin habit, drinking upwards of a gallon of vodka a day. Whoa. Uh, December 16th of 2010, I overdosed while driving, hit two cars, almost killed four people. By the grace of God, uh, they all lived I caught a seven-year prison sentence the way they ran it. I did 13 and a half months in Sheridan Correctional Center in Illinois. Uh, Sheridan and the West Care program saved my life. 
I was locked down 18 hours a day and read the big book, the NA Basic Text, read about 200 books. My cellmate and I, that's all we did in the day room at night. But in prison, my wife divorced me after 17 years, lost our beautiful house in foreclosure. And upon my release 13 and a half months later, um, on my 21-month sobriety date, my 20-year-old son succumbed to a heroin overdose. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, uh, He's I, I, I lived it. Um, I've seen the good. I've seen the bad. But out of that, prior to Nick passing away, I had set up my foundation, was in the process of getting our 51C3 for a man in recovery foundation, uh, www.amirf.org. And I run a bunch of support groups, and then uh, Nick passed on, and it just solidified what I need to do. I actually got a phone call this morning that one of my son's other friends passed away this morning from a heroin overdose. Oh, God. Yeah, I've been to uh, 82 funerals in the past year and a half. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of hope out of there. And then I stumbled into working for Banyan Treatment Center, and this is all I do. I'm a hope dealer. I take people from dope to hope, helping one addict at a time. And so T- Tim was there in the audience, essentially just sort of as a... I don't think they had quite understood what Tim had to offer, but I could see it immediately. <laughs> and 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 uh, he had two young guys with him that were about a year sober. And so, Tina, you still there now? Are you with us? Yep. Okay. Yep, I'm so, here. So, Tina's brother, describe to us what was going on with your brother and how he presented. This is on television, amazingly. Go ahead. So, my brother knew that he was coming in to talk about his addiction, and we did not tell him that there was going to be any intervention, any rehab involved. We just told him that he was coming to meet with a man who struggled with addiction, and we told him that he was coming to meet with you. And um, didn't that tip him off? Something might go down. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know how he didn't think that. You know, he he asked us about it. He was like, "If you guys are taking me for an intervention, watch what's going to happen when we leave." Uh, so he's threatening us the whole time. Oof. And um, I mean, again, I, like I don't know what already. he expected. He's a great yeah, kid. <laughs> he's a great kid. He really I don't is. know what he expected. Yeah. He knew you know exactly what was going to happen. Yeah. Yes, he I did. I mean, there's no way he yeah. absolutely knew what was going on, and yeah. I think he wanted the help. And he just didn't want to admit to it, and he didn't want to just throw his hands up and ask for help. So he comes in. He's the, the family is just beside. He's got three sisters. They're lovely, and the mom is just doesn't really understand what she's got in her hands. The son is the light of her life. He's everyone understands he's dying, and mm-hmm. there are lots of tears. And this kid is I, I can understand why he's the light of her life. He's a great kid, and uh, he comes in, and I thought, all right, here he goes, go do battle, and uh, he starts out with. Uh, well, you know, I, I go to work every day. And I go, no, you don't. <laughs> I go, yeah. I go, he goes, well, no, I only do heroin in the evening. Everybody I go, not about that. I go, bullshit. That, yeah. Then he goes, well, I take Suboxone during the day. I was like, oh, shit. When I heard that, I was like, oh, no. Because I thought. That's oh. what they're all doing. But right? I thought that he is functioning on that garbage and shooting heroin yeah, at night. they're all shooting And, and so I thought, oh, my God, how are we going to get him, extract him from that? Because it wasn't as though I could say that isn't what's happening. Because I could say it wasn't what happened before he told me the Suboxone. And then I was like, oh, my God, he's, he's getting, a doctor is helping him do this. I was devastated. I was devastated. And that's when I got Tim. That's when I got Tim involved. And Tim, <laughs> and Tim sort of helped really. It, it's so Tim, Tim. And frankly, Tina, I think you did too. You're helped dealing break through with it a little bit. a lot, Tim, right? The kids are doing Suboxone and shooting dope. And no, none of the doctors know that. No, well, you know, 95% of the doctors that are prescribing the Suboxone today have no plan to get people off of this garbage. They Thank don't you. tell them what it's doing, they don't tell them the cost. 
And what do they do? They go back to, they use it when they're not dope sick or they're selling it to buy dope. And I can't tell you how many people I put into treatment. I just had a mom call me today. I'm going to be sending her son down to Florida to detox him off Suboxone. So, so, and what they don't tell you is that the Suboxone detox worse than is 10 times worse mm-hmm. than kicking not, dope. Not 10 times, yep. well, but it's worse. it's a lot worse. It's worse, yeah. It's yeah. worse. But here, here's the thing. It's been around long before it was so trendy and legal. I was taking it in 1986, 1987. You used it to not be dope sick. It helped you function on tour. It <laughs> helped you do what you're supposed to do. Yeah. And these kids are using it, so they're measuring the the functionability of the kid well right? so so tina's brother came in with that tina what did you experience out there when you were hearing all this just an overflow of emotions i mean i've worked with addictions i've seen she's it medically so, and clinically and personally yeah she's a um, can you imagine you have no control of your own where, brother was your impression that suboxone is very great and it's like a, a new revolutionary way to treat addicts? not not really no because the rehab that i was working at the addictionologist that we have there would only put people on it for a few days and wean oh, them off fantastic. but he would not let them have it long term he that's, would you, not you, you need to know tina that's rare it's thank yes God. i understand yeah. oh absolutely yeah. so the fact that my brother was supposed to be using it daily for long term i knew that was bad i already knew it was bad news but we were just stuck in a bind and i mean we really didn't know what else to do so tim comes in tim tells his story tim starts breaking down the denial Steve Harvey was excellent. He was really helpful and talked about, you know, how he talked in different terms. You know, it's it's interesting. I don't care if people talk about sin or the devil, whatever they whatever terminology yeah, yeah. gets through. So he had another way of talking about it that I I predict is going to help viewers because it was very much about devil and good and bad struggles. Um, and I thought, good, talk, use that language. That's fine. I don't care what language we use. We're all talking about the same thing. And. And we finally got to the point where Steve goes, all right, this is it. We struggled for like a half an hour. And finally he goes, all right, you're going to go or not? And Tina's brother said, not going, not going. What did you think then, Tina? My heart shattered. I, I mean, I just remember breaking down and crying and makeup is all over my face. And that was the last thing I thought about because I had this feeling, this like innate feeling that he was going to say no, because I know how sick my brother truly was. Yeah. You know, he's so sick and he's so far into his addiction. Yes. And I just knew he was going to say no and it broke me. I mean, I'm not afraid of many things. And in that moment, I was afraid. And so we ended the segment and everyone piled back into their dress rooms and things. And the poor Tina and her family were just stuck in there while Tim and I went out and started dealing with uh, with her brother. Tim, what happened then? Well, he was, uh, he had first went out for a cigarette and he was ready to take off. So I kind of calmed him down. I'm like, look, just come in and speak with Dr. Drew. And I said, look, I'm a man of my word. I'm not making you go anywhere. And I rolled up my shirt sleeves and I said, feel my arms. And he rubbed his hand on my arms. He goes, wow, you really are a drug addict. Yeah. (laughs) I said, yeah. So once we got him in, and Dr. Drew and I started really talking to him. We had Brad in the room, but then we pulled in JT, who was just about a year sober, okay, so who listen, I had listen, down at base. Th- this, to me, this is the magic of working in addiction. You, it's, that it's, was it. Yeah, well, hold because, on, hold on, we'll tell everyone, because the, 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 and Tina, this is a, a lesson for you in terms of working with it, it which is that it's so intuitive working with addicts because it's not rational. They're not telling you the truth. You're, no, you're, never. You're, you're in a realm that is just other, you're very emotional. And I've learned to really listen to my body and trust my instincts. And I saw that kid, JT, and I said, 
get down here. He was in the audience. Said, said, come, come in the room with us. And he was in the room there. And I thought, Tim, you and I leave, and we're going to leave these two together. I don't know why I said it. I don't know where it came from. I just had this very powerful instinct that these two should be together alone. And Tina, what did you hear about that experience with, with him, with JT? You know what? I think bringing someone in who um, you thought was compatible for him in this instance was a miracle because I feel like he was able to understand him and he was able to like break through to my brother. Well, and he said, But he said something really powerful, I think, to, to back to JT that Tim shared with me. Tim, you want to share that now? He had said that uh, Muneer had said something to the effect of, and here's he the, the young just, man with the addiction with the heroin. Go ahead. He had just lost a good friend and to, to addiction. He, yes, to addiction. And JT he, he thought JT was almost his friend talking through JT, impressing that, hey, it's gonna be okay. Give you chills. Huge. Yeah. Wow. That's I never some, heard that that's until some right Susan now. Susan Pinsky shit right there. <laughs> <laughs> no, he it said, was powerful. He right? said that he, that he I, somebody sent me the text that, that your brother had sent to JT. I was, did not know that. that I had he no felt clue. He felt that his friend was speaking through JT. And he said in the text that it's not that you look like him, it's that you used his precise language. Wow. And I really felt like my, son, wow. my friend was telling me, you got to get well, buddy. And he took it. He took it. And that, I, I had chills. no clue. I got weird chills down my neck when I hear about that. I'm oh telling you, God. and I'm telling you, that was it. And, and yeah. I have a text from him. He said, Tim, thanks for not letting me walk away because I knew I got to do this for myself and my family. And, and the way everything, I mean, it was all God working through everybody. And then, uh, you know, when he went back in and, and met with his sisters and his mom, and I, I said, you know what, go hug each of them, tell them you love them. And he came out and said, look, I'll go tomorrow. He said, I'm a man of my word. He shook my hand. But I must tell you, at that moment, I was free. Yeah, because, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because, What's this because, tomorrow, because, yeah, because if, if it were not for you, Tim, it would not have happened tomorrow. So I, 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 my, I put my faith in you at that moment. because. Well, thank you. you because and, you said you would not let it go. And I thought, okay, I, could, I, I believe Tim. I, I don't know what Meneer is up to. I hope he doesn't die tonight. That was my biggest concern. That's scary. Yeah, yeah. So. I think that was everyone's concern for that night. Yeah. What happened? Well, you know, Tina, Tina and I kept in touch Manier, the whole night. Um, I mean, five in the morning, we're talking. No, he's sleeping. And, you know, a car picked me up. I went to the house, spent 20 minutes with the family. We all talked. And once he got to the airport, let me tell you what he said when he got to the airport. And we're sitting there waiting for the plane. I said, so what was the catalyst? He goes, you know, and that Dr. Drew called me out right out of the gate. He goes, he just busted my bubble. I knew I was in trouble then. <laughs> he, he came out, he started with, I'm working during the day and we hair went now. They go, bullshit. I go, just bullshit. Stop it. Stop it. Please, please, everybody. This, this kid isn't doing that. But then he came out with the Suboxone. So I was like, oh, like, shit. oh crap. He is. <laughs> yeah. Sure he is. <laughs> but oh, crap, now what? Because I was ready to really dig in hard and fast and just get him going. And it was like, no, that we weren't going there that the, quite that straight a line. But, but you know for the I, and by the way, he looked. Uh, Tim very kindly sent me pictures of the two of them on their travel to Florida. He the kid looks so lit up and relieved. I got to tell you, yeah. It, it, when you surrender, man, it's just it's, there's it, nothing like it's it. It's okay. Yeah, go figure it out. And he's he's month long now. He, he's he's down in treatment right now. I talked Three to him two days ago. Yeah. He's doing great. Yeah. Well, fingers crossed. Well, p- please tell him that he has a bunch more cheerleaders now that are praying for him and thinking about him. And, Absolutely. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna make, I definitely I'm going to make these guys watch what you did. I don't know how to get edited down. You never know. I mean, what's up, Joseph? <laughs> Tina's already putting in a request for certain edits around her eye makeup. <laughs> 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 
But, but Tina, how are you and your family doing now? You know, we're great. When we don't hear from him, we're like, you know what? Any good. or no news is good news. Yeah. Now, so, but, you know, I let my parents know that just families. because he doesn't call, don't be worried. Key Tina. thing for families to understand. No, the family listeners need to know. No news is good news. When oh, yeah. they need money, that's the bad news. Yes, no money. Oh, God, oh, you won't believe what happened. Yes. That's bad news. Yeah. So, yeah. And also bad news is these people suck. Oh, yeah. When they start complaining right. about the caretakers, all right. he wants is your money. Yeah, all day, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Those are those are those the that's the addiction speaking when that happens. Mm-hmm. But yeah. but Tina Tina, in addition to busting his chops about heroin, I was busting somebody else's chops a bit too. My mom. Well, then all of you. I don't know what your, your younger <laughs> sisters, but there was tremendous Alan on needs here, and and we you got you must. She's a do social that. worker, Drew. I, I know I, she's codependent. I, I understand, but but for the <laughs> but I, and Tina, I think I told you I'm very codependent too. But you, but you for him, you have to do some work on that. Whether it's a therapist or or a Alan on group. group. Yeah, I, I, I'll tell you, you why because because over the years, Tina, you'll become cynical because so many people don't get well and so many people abuse their children and so many people yeah but that's don't. tina in her work i'm yeah. i, I, I want to motivate her on behalf of her brother to go do something oh, he's gonna do what he's gonna do Come on. i'm telling you if he comes back to the stuff that i was seeing there it's gonna it's not gonna work it's not gonna work he's either gonna blow out and not be around his family or relapse they need to do their piece they do they won't. I guarantee you they won't. Tina, prove Bob wrong, they okay? Poo- no, prove I will wrong. prove him wrong. No, I will. Do you need me to take pictures and send them to you? <laughs> send them Standing to outside holding no, a No, I'm not saying you. You're a social worker. You're a professional. You're, you're, for your own survival, you're going to need to look at boundaries over the years and get, yeah, get and take course. care of yourself. Of course. But a I absolutely agree. But yeah. a codependent mom is not going to go get help. They're not. Call me the world cynic. I only deal with this shit 24 hours a day, seven days a week for 20 years. Yeah, yeah. They're not going to, your mom is not going to go down on. She's going to say, oh, I just don't understand her. Those people are, but I don't you know. But you know what? She's got Tina in her corner. Tina push her, but yeah. then she becomes codependent with her mom trying to get her to go she, down. Code, codependent on mom's codependency? <laughs> the circle of codependency. <laughs> but Tim, you want to ring in here? Say who what? I wonder if you want to <laughs> give your opinion about the, this uh Codependent well, Daisy Chain. <laughs> well, you know that's when 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 I started my support groups about a year and a half ago. We call them an opiate recovery group. But my group in Naperville last Thursday night we had 120 people at. I had 85 parents, hmm. and the rest are addicts. And I bring the parents and the addicts together. I'll share, and then I split it, and I put the loved ones in one room, the addicts in another. And it's more real talk and and calling the parents out on the, you know, I had a mom two weeks ago go, well, you know, you can't pick on me. I said, pick on you. You had to save your son with Narcan the other day. And she says, well, I got to kind of get to know who you are. I said, no, you got to kind of figure out how quick I'm coming into your house to do an intervention with your son before he's dead. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it's it's getting them. But then for parents, they need Al-Anon, Families Anonymous, Naranon. Get into some support group. See a therapist. But codependency is one of the biggest. You know, if you baby them, you're going to bury them. So, Tina, I don't want Tina to walk away depressed. Let's not, let's not end yeah. on that negative note. Yeah. The, the, the problem of America is we're we're having our adult children live in our house just what you said tim why do you have to go where a 30 year old person or 24 year old person is into their parents house to get them to do something it just makes no sense 
You're 18, you're grown, you're toilet trained. Go fucking figure it out if you're going to do heroin and all this. Parents need to start doing that, Drew. I'm telling you. But, Bob, you can't do it alone. You need other parents standing with you. How did our like parents that. do it? How'd it work out Man, for it's, you? It's a, you know, <laughs> How'd it work out for you? <laughs> it's a much different time today. Drew, the man who said I tried to tunnel out of my I did parents. tunnel out of their house. <laughs> I made it. <laughs> that that Tim, I think, is something that we come up with on a, a daily basis with this with this I don't know this mid twenties child well, man I, I would living argue, at home with his codependent mother. I, I'm gonna tell you something. Manir is not that usual case at all. I, I know Tina will agree with me on this. He he was already, one of his big things was working, and that's one of the resistances <laughs> he had. He's almost a workaholic. I bet Tina, am I right on this? No, absolutely. And he also yeah. started using when he was really young. I think he was like 16 years old, possibly. Yeah. So, but how old is it, he? Twenty-one. He just turned twenty. 20 no, he just 20, turned 20. twenty. Pardon, twenty. Okay, so that gets a free pass if he's living at home. But twenty-two, twenty-four. I, I when does the will. cutoff? I, I don't go? think that's his thing. I'm not talking this about a, him. I'm, I, I'm talking just about saying, Tim's just, clients I, of his I, eighty-five I just, parents. No, I understand that these are your clients that you've been trying to. No, do. he just mentioned eighty-five right. parents okay, that show up for a group. Tim, where is this, is this in Chicago? Uh, these I run them all over Chicago land. Yeah. yeah, my group on Thursday nights in Naperville, Illinois. We're about thirty-five minutes west of Chicago, and it's blown through the roof. I saw a post of yours. Um, maybe it was on uh, Twitter or somewhere about that particular group where one hundred and twenty people showed up. I think I follow you on on something yeah. because I saw about your opiate recovery it's, group where one hundred and twenty. Well, so, so, yeah, Bob, it's a question. So what's about these a parents. cheat? What's a cheat sheet for the parents that have these twenty six year old opiate addicts living in their houses, living off of them, stealing and you're their spoons? To, yeah, you're, and you, what what is your recommendation, Tim? It's a metaphor. Well, basically, what I do is I I go in and give give the addict two options you either pack your suitcase and this is after meeting with them and talking yeah, but they're yeah. either they're walking out the door with me and going to treatment and i'll help anyone 95 percent of the people i help either have no insurance or state insurance and we do interventions for free we'll we'll pay for it, uh through our foundation to get them god's in work right there the recovery, um right? but yeah. you know you're either going to treatment or you're packing a bag and you're out of the house that's and, what i'm talking about okay. yeah right. you know if you want to go destroy because what the parents need to do is let the addict live their their life. And I tell the parents, your addict, once they cross into the opiate world, they have three choices. They will get into recovery. They're either going to die or get caught up in the prison system. That's it. That's their three choices. Yeah. And I'll guide and direct them into that sobriety world if they're willing to go to any length to get there. There you go. Without Suboxone or Methadone. And, can't you, and here's the thing that I think a lot of parents, they perceive it as tough love. I don't, I don't do it that way. I just say, dude, you can't live here. Come on now. And I just get their stuff and get, bring them to a motel and pay for a couple of days. And then you're going to have to figure it out. Well, and, you, you know, as we told my son, Nick, his grandmother would enable him and let him come in and out and stay oh, there. they'll so, go to the other you, codependents yeah, in the family. Unified yep. front. Unified well, front. well, here's what happened there. My daughter was over at grandma's house, and she was 12 at the time, and called me and said, Hey, Dad, I found a pile of heroin on the washing machine. Holy moly. So she went down to do her laundry. If she would have had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and set that sandwich on that pile of heroin... Pulled her laundry out and ate it, it would have killed her. But Mary, my mother-in-law was, well, if I kick him out, he's going to die. Yeah, my son died in a million-dollar home 30 minutes from here. As I told my son, if you want to do drugs, go ahead, but get a job and pay your bills and destroy your life. I can't stop you. 
but don't be stealing, ripping, running, and burning everybody else. There you go. All right, you guys. Tina, I'm going to give you the last thoughts here. Anything you want to tell us? You know what? If I could say one thing, yeah. um, just to just keep supporting the addict, and no matter how low they are, you have to keep pushing. I mean, if I would have Don't left my up. brother, he would have died. No yeah. doubt about it. He yeah. would have died in my house if I didn't do what I did. So don't give up. I mean, go. go. No. I, I See, I, that's the physician in me feels that way, too. And Tina's a social worker. That's why she feels that way. And and I'm glad you guys are there to call us on our codependency, but we're, we're still obliged to do everything we can. <laughs> we never give up. We just are. Professionally, we're professionally codependent. I say push him out in the open. We'll I, find I, him. I, all right. But to be that as it may. Uh, but knowing my brother, he would have died if we pushed him out like that. Well, that's, he needed, I, you know, that's he needed the push to recover. Argument. I don't want to get in an argument, but that's not a fact. Oh, I, I think it depends on the risk. addict. I it's feel like you risk. have to know oh, the people addict. People said that about everyone I know. That I get See, parents you can't, say you that can't, about this every is, this kid. Is, this is not an argument we can have because it really is. is she felt well, listen, like no, if no, she kicked him out, he not, would die. Yes, for sure. That I but, believe. But truly. I would argue that those of us that are have licenses and things, we're trained not to give up and to not let people die. And and that's just it, you know. And that's just where we're at now. I I don't I would not take issue with what you or Tim said. I wouldn't, but it's not, it's not our. But that fear of the child dying is why they're dying in their homes, including my own nephew and my sister's. For sure, when the moms have that fantasy, they die. I'm not sure when the sister has that fantasy, they die. Well, you know what I'm going to say. It's usually not the daily user that dies. It's usually the person that's coming out of treatment yeah. that has been sober right. a while yep. or right. coming so. out of jail. Yep. Or well, no, they, but, but Tim, in my world, it's people taking pills that a doctor gave them. And Absolutely. They, the combo, All the benzo, long. and the opiates. And, it, and that may or may not be somebody who's just been out of treatment. That could be somebody who's using heroin at the same time. Well, so. what killed my son, he started two bags of heroin, and his best friend gave him a Xanax Perfect. Bar. Perfect. There you go. Shades so of my Yes. And oh, my absolutely. son snorted heroin. People have a big misconception that you got to shoot it up. My son never used a needle in his life. He Crazy. snorted two got bags. It. And then when he was overdosing, his good friends didn't do a damn thing. Right. You they know panicked. What? They yeah, put him on the sofa. They went in the basement, did more drugs, and came up an hour later, and he is dead. Guys, I've got to got wrap it. this up. It is Tim Ryan. His Twitter handle is at a man in recovery. His foundation is amirf.org. We'll have links on our website. Uh, BanyanTreatmentCenter.com is where he has sends people with good success. Tina, again, uh, thank you for being a part of this. Thank you for bringing your brother to us. And, uh, uh, I'm just so grateful. It's things are going well right now. I really am so grateful. So uh, it's, it's good to hear your Thank voice. You. It's good to hear your voice again. Thank you so much. All right, Tim. Anything anywhere else you want people to find you? Uh, you can find me on Facebook. Uh, you can follow us under a Man in Recovery Foundation. And do you have a thing right now where people turn in their medication or something? The fire station? Are you doing that stuff? Yeah, we all over Chicagoland. You can take your prescription drugs and uh, turn them in at the uh, police station or the fire station. Or a lot of the schools have the P2D2 program, but you can call us at uh, 844-611-HOPE, H-O-P-E, that's 4673, and we'll be glad to guide and direct uh, where to get rid of those pills, how to help, and do whatever we need to do. Or you can uh, follow us in our Facebook group, A Man in Recovery. Okay, guys, thank you so much. We'll take a quick break. Thank right you. Back. Bye. Have a blessed thank day. You. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. 
All conversations and information exchanged during participation in the This Life with Dr. Drew and Bob Forrest podcast or interaction with drdrew.com website is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction per se. Nothing on these podcasts or posted on this site supplements or supersedes the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the sites or podcasts. So we're back. We're back. Are we back? Yeah, we're back. And uh, we've said farewell to Tim and Tina, and we're saying hello to Audrey Karish, as I promised. She's provided the music butterfly at the end of the show. Beginning of the show, too, I think. And um, she's hello there. Hi. Keep that right on your right up right there. Here. You go. Hello. And um, she's got an interesting story too. By the way, you live here in Maybe. L.A. I kind of do. I think I do. I live in Nashville. Um, I get my mail there. My mom <laughs> just moved um, from Hermosa Beach to close to Beverly Hills. She's a flight attendant. And we've been helping her move the last month, so I feel like I live here. Who's she fly for? <laughs> she flies for United. Oh, I'll look for her. The friendly skies. I do a lot, yeah. of, I do a lot of friendly skies. What, what route? She goes all over. She really tries to get the Hawaii route oh, so she course. can stay sure. 24 hours. Who wouldn't, Who wouldn't do that? Yeah. She likes to go to Cancun like you know everyone would. Uh, but she doesn't really do international flying. I don't want her to, to be honest. So I don't. I don't right. want her to fly at all. I can't wait till one day I can make I enough money. That. She what do the kids of, of pilots and stewards services yeah. think? Yeah. Their Stress. parents could die any day. It's yeah. scary. She she tells me some crazy stories about just flying and mean people what about and turbulence. Pilots? Uh, <laughs> she tells me stories. Oh, I have that. heard. I have heard <laughs> stories about that. Yeah. yeah. They have, but United is actually a very good program. I've spoken to their group. No, the whole, the yeah. whole, yeah, the, the whole airline pilot yeah. union has a great program. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, she yeah. really loves flying for them. And so, you've been a musician your whole life. Yeah, it's the only thing I'm good at. Yeah, I think singing is the only thing I'm really good at. Um, I've been singing since I was little, and then I moved to New York when I was 18. I didn't go to college. Not that I didn't want to. I just. I just maybe I didn't. My attention saved yourself one hundred and fifty grand. Yeah, but I wasted <laughs> money in other ways. You know, <laughs> I got the life experience, and I always wanted to be in a band and just do music. And now we're doing that, and it's band really is called fun. Alky. Oh, good. Oh, Alky, cool. yeah. Alkymusic.com is where you go. That's right. A L K Y K E A L K E. Yeah. And it's why is like it called Alky? So it's it's weird. It's a Greek uh, goddess name, and it's like the goddess of courage. And I've always just. You know, needed more courage. That's not what I associate it with. <laughs> I know a lot of people don't. like, "Why would you call yourself that?" And because there's of a rap ironic. band called the Alcoholics. I don't know if you ever heard of them. No, but I know plenty of alcoholics. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> but yeah. Alky was the old, you know, Bill Wilson term for an alcoholic. Yeah, oh, an yeah. Alky. Yeah, my my mom said, "Why would you want to call yourself an alky? Everyone's going to think you're an alcoholic." I'm like, "Well, I'm in good company then. I mean, no. I know plenty of great alcoholics." <laughs> you should have said the the twenty year old girl comeback. Old people will think that. <laughs> yeah, they will. Yeah. But when the people ask, they're you know they're always intrigued. Like, oh wow, that's cool. It means courage, and I feel it's kind of a law of attraction thing. If if I say it enough, I'll be more courageous. And why do you need more courage? What, what's what do you mean? Uh, I had a hard year last year, just like with my confidence and I don't, it's, I don't want to go too off track. I mean, I don't know. I think, I think I, nothing is off track for this show. (laughs) I think I put so much faith in, um, in certain people in in my life and just, 
I, I, I was very Hasn't I'm Bob very told you trusting. about his sister mom yet? You, you'll be okay. <laughs> yeah, you'll be okay. <laughs> so the thing about music, which only, only people that play it know, it's, I think it's the most vulnerable art. Oh, yeah. Because it's all based on what people think of you. Because the songs are you. What you think. You singing them. And so if they reject that, they're rejecting you. Now, if somebody doesn't like a Basquiat painting, they don't. That doesn't mean necessarily they're rejecting Basquiat as a person. Mm-hmm. But when you're an artist and you're up there singing your songs and people don't like it or it doesn't get popular, it's devastating. It's even more devastating when your dad's the biggest rock star in the world or your best friends are the biggest rock stars in the yeah. world. We know the pain. We that remember that. You put yourself into this most vulnerable of occupations, right? It's scary, but... I think that there's so much power behind vulnerability too if you really embrace it and you know and I really like that you know I like being vulnerable I like the idea that someone can hear my song and relate to it and it can make them feel something um, and I'm totally fine with the you know the judgment and everything that comes along with it because if I could if I could maybe affect five people or three girls that are like at home just like you know thinking oh maybe this, you know this is me or I feel this way it just reminds me where I was, you know, when I was 16 and lost and just felt like a loser. But, you know, we all kind of feel that way. It's why we love music, right? We, we, went, we and the three of us have talking a lot about trauma. Is that part of your history? I think so. I learned that last year. I learned what trauma really was. A lot of times you don't know if you've been a victim of trauma at all. And I'd say so. I mean, divor- divorce is really hard on, yep. on families. Yep. And I love my family a lot, but... You don't really understand the damage it does until, you know, you're a young adult or you're best friends with your mom and you realize, oh, wow, like we are best friends. I don't know if, if you know, a lot of mothers and daughters have this kind of relationship. Not that it's inappropriate. I would never change my relationship with my mom. But you just realize like, well, maybe I had some trauma. Maybe that affected me deeper than. Where's dad? He's, he's at home. I'm from Reno, Nevada. He's still at home. And I'm from Nashville. Well, no, I live there. I've kind of lived all over I'm there's a, a reason for that how yeah. old are you now i'm 23 23 wow mm-hmm. nice so yeah. up in reno that's a great town reno <laughs> the biggest little town isn't that no, the biggest little city in the world yeah it's you got the university you got the the junkie kids downtown begging oh, for yeah. change from the tourists it's yeah. it's funny there it's like where'd you hang out when you were, were you a teenager in reno yeah because it's so, a risky town it is. It's to really be a scary. teenager that's what i, I mean, hung out at the pepper mill <laughs> In Reno. No way. Oh, yes way. My mom was a cocktail waitress at the Pepper Mill. Maybe years. we met. Maybe. <laughs> Coke with her mom. Exactly. That's what I was doing in Reno. That's what everybody's doing in Reno. Reno's so what funny. did you, you know those kids that are downtown? I'm fascinated mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. them. They call them something like railers oh, yes. or uh, what are they called? The word. They're all Tra- train spotters. <laughs> there is a word for it. I don't There's know why. There's a word I can't. that Reno only has for the like the wow. homeless kind of drug addict teenage Susan community. Susan, expect 400 emails on this issue. <laughs> They'll be coming. But so did you know those kids or did you know... Now, what I know from Reno, I go up there a lot. I work up there sometimes. Mm-hmm. The casino owners and the casino bosses' kids are all on drugs. Mm-hmm. And they all live in a, They live in Lake Tahoe, mm-hmm. right? Is that it's funny. refreshing yes. your memory? Oh, yeah. Then there's the drug addict kids at the university. Mm-hmm. Then there's this just... They don't this, know that they're drug addicts yet. Yeah, this mashup. Yeah. Reno's an exciting town. It is. It's really exciting. <laughs> I don't think I really appreciated my town then as much as I do now. I go back and visit and I realize this place is kind of hard. This place has like 
There's just it's so tough. much. There's it's tough. yeah, but you also have Lake Tahoe there, and which is the most beautiful place in the world, and it's a destination that everybody wants to go to. So I feel blessed that I'm from there. But at the same time, it was kind of kind of grungy, kind of scary sometimes. So what were you like? Who were you hanging out with? What were you doing? When I was 14 or 15, I joined a, a band. We were like a rock band. We wanted to be like Flyleaf, like we wanted to be them. And <laughs> it was really fun. I played shows all the time. So then I got to, it was kind of in the hardcore scene, which was, it's funny because it's very straight edge there, but you, straight edge is like, isn't it? We don't. Are they, aren't they supposed <laughs> to be like really nice? I, I don't know. I, I Not just know necessarily, that, no. And, and Reno is kind of, kind of tough i mean straight edge so like no drugs alcohol anything sex but if you do that i'm gonna beat your head with a baseball bat mm. like at there the casino go. and take a video of it and everyone's gonna see it so that was pr- pretty Did you play those clubs that. downtown by that hotel that you climb on the rock climbing oh, hotel yeah that's new yes that's but the cl- two punk rock clubs are right there on there's the knitting block. factory there yeah, i knitting think it factory. just down Mm-hmm. I so played you grew there up before. there when you were 14 or 15, running around there? Yeah, I, in- I, I entered at the, at the <laughs> radio station, so I could always have free tickets to concerts. And I mean, I got into some trouble, but I didn't really get into like scary trouble until I moved away. Okay. I think I was a, a little like prude or... You got into scary trouble? What happened? I think I just wanted to, mm-hmm. I just wanted to experience life and everything all at once. I wanted to be independent so badly. I wanted to prove to my dad, to everybody, like, I don't need you. I'm going to go and be a model. I'm going to go. Which, like, no, everyone. Like, you York. can't make money like modeling in New York unless you're like from Brazil and have amazing cheekbones. So I figured <laughs> that out. <laughs> I realized I can't change the structure of my face, but maybe I can get really skinny. And that worked for like two jobs. And then they cut all my hair off. And that was great because I'm like, Mom, I have this check for $900, but they cut my hair and now I look like Justin Bieber, so I can't oh. work for another six months. Oh, <laughs> my God. How crazy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so but how long were you in New York for? I was there the first full for a year and a half, and then I moved to Charlotte, North Carolina. You survived the really year random. and a half in New York City. That is tough. That was probably the scariest year. Where did you live? What part of town? I lived in East Village. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Back, how long oh was that? Two years ago? Three years ago? Uh, That's where us old people go have ice cream. <laughs> We did. And Bob got so upset because they they cast us out when they, it was time to close. Yeah, they close when they say they're going to close. I don't like that. We're from LA. It's funny. It's funny. It was a great neighborhood, but it's they knew us both by name too, and they're still like, "Yeah, get out of here." Yeah, they didn't <laughs> care that we were on care. celebrity rehab. They did not care. No, they cared, but once it was time to close, they didn't care. <laughs> that's so that's New York. That's a tough town. A year and a half. How old were you? Like nineteen? I was eighteen. 18. I don't know why you, she survived a year My and a half in New York me, City. Let me in the move Lord there. Of East Village. <laughs> yeah, I, and of course I'm like, no, I have to go in East Village. It's cool. Like it's very me. And every young girl, or I don't know, probably wants to live in East Village. It's, it's a great place. But I was so naive. I thought I knew everything. You know, like as asshole teenagers tend to but, do. But it's a case in point to what you've been talking about. Is this, they need to go out and live. Yeah, go out and Because if, if their mom way. going, no, you need to, whatever wagging, finger wagging you do, well, I, I just not do it. I don't, I don't like the best friend thing. That that's just my, my <laughs> thing. Right. But to allow you to go when you're a grown adult person, mm-hmm. right, to make your own mistakes, that's what Tina's mother is not allowing that yeah. boy that you met right. to She's do. Right, too scared. And in America, we need to start letting our kids go make mistakes yeah 
That's and true. parents I mean, are so frightened of it. It's weird. We knew, that was not a, the, our parents' generation's parents thing. And they're frightened stuff. of it because they're best friends with their children. <laughs> <laughs> but right. I'm not, I mean, a, a lot of people, I'm not saying in your case, but I mean, it's interesting. You're saying in your own case. Well, I, I am speaking a little, no, I know. I have, I have identified my own dysfunction in many conversations today. I want you to know <laughs> I'm not blind to it. Yeah, but it is, mm-hmm. but it is something that we need to, as a, as a, as a, as a pop, as a, as a citizenry, <laughs> right. we need to let our kids right. make the mistakes that we were allowed to make. Yeah, w- but my, our parents. It seems like I would argue. You know dad. what it is, Bob? I would argue. I have a little theory just popped into my head. You know, we not you and I had this last time Mac was in here with us. We had this whole discussion about how people that were antisocial were elevated during our generation, and our generation got into some screwy shit fast. And our parents were not aware of it. And so when now we look at our kids, we're like, well, we know what they're up to, man. We're not going to let yeah, that happen yeah. to them. And they're like, well, you did it. Why shouldn't we? That's right. And, that, and then we try to control it, and that's what doesn't work. But, but I knew when I left, my, I left at 17, mm-hmm. and I never went back. And I knew that my dad or my mom were not going to think that they, the mistakes I was going to make were my mistakes. But they again, weren't like reflective of them. They I just never don't would think, think they like, knew. Oh my God, my I, kid made a stupid mistake. I, Bob, and got I just pregnant. don't think they really understood how bad your mistakes were going to be. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't really think. I don't they really think they understood. Even fathom. <laughs> <laughs> I could barely understand it. I was there. Well, it was a lot was, to witness. A, you know, as long as you, as long as you had watermelon, you were all right. What? That was our theory. Well, me and Flea and Anthony's, we'd shoot drugs all day, and you know, coke was our thing, like you. Yes. When we were kids. And then we would get so dehydrated, and I came up with this thing like, we should go buy some watermelons and just eat it because it's like saline sal- it's like sal- it's, it's like solution that they would give yeah. you at the hospital yeah. so we could do it to ourselves. Lots of water and lots of sugar. <laughs> it will keep you alive. It is the same thing. Oh my Good God. thinking. See? Good thinking. I get it. So that's what I was doing when I was 19, 18. And so you survived. Now you're here. Now you got your song with us. It's, yeah, that's right. And we appreciate it. Thank what you. Do you have anything Thank else you. you want people to know about the band or where it's appearing or you? Or? Yeah, we're we're playing in New York actually uh, at Rockwood Music Hall, uh, April sixth. We're pl- playing a show there, and we should be playing some more shows out here in LA shortly after that. I hope anyway. We'll put up put up um, on the website for her. yeah. Did oh, you yeah, ever play the living room? It just closed. Did you ever play that club? Yes, I love that. Yeah. Place. Wait, is that in Brooklyn? No, it's south of Canal. Then never mind. I didn't. It play was. There. It had couches like this, and people just sat. I've heard the, of that place. Yeah. yeah Nora Jones got started there. Really? It was She's a cool amazing. place. Just closed. South of Canal Street, turning it into a million dollar loft. I would say it's like Soho now. It's yeah. Like, that's all. It's probably an art, you know, uh, exhibit gallery. gallery. Exactly. New York still got soul. Oh, New it York's just, great. It's really it's, it's hard. Yeah, it's expensive. Yeah, that's it's not what I'm hard. Saying. It's expensive. <laughs> it's way too expensive. Oh yeah, oh so our song. So the the song you'll be hearing is called Butterfly, and you know it's really simple. We wanted to keep the song just a lot. A lot of pop music right now is just like so much crap in your face, and I just really wanted people to like you know listen to the song, listen to the lyrics. It means a lot to me. The song does, and uh, it's kind of about a metamorphosis and a journey within yourself and changing and having hope and. And realizing, like, oh, maybe I'm not, like, this horrible person or piece of shit person I feel like inside. And I can be so much greater than that. So that's what the song's about. But oh, Wow. That's <laughs> kind of what this pod is about, right? That's, that's, that's kind of what recovery is about. Yeah. I think so, yeah. I mean, I wrote it after, um, let me see. I, I've attended plenty of Al-Anon meetings, NA meetings, just really trying to understand this disease. And I think a lot of people should educate themselves. That's why we have awesome podcasts like this. But uh, that's kind of what the song was about, was just about 
you're, you know, you're like your rebirth, you're breaking through something and you can be so much greater on the other side and you already are. You just have to figure that out. Perfect. So, there's a song. Right. I love it. I love it. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks. Well, that will do it for this. has been a very interesting, intense, wild ride today. Ended so. on a good note. And a good note, upbeat <laughs> note. Mac, I thank you for joining us again. Really Anytime, appreciate it. It was interesting, guys. wasn't it? This yeah, time it was really different than our last one. Very different. Yeah. And so uh, we appreciate it. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. What if in the morning I woke to see the God in thy What if I became a butterfly That life almost had me Forgot it, escaped it It's lost It's gone He owns a cattle on a Show sure.